Coming up on another edition of the Front Page Football Podcast, myself, Antonis Begonis and Matt Olsen, we were joined by a very special guest recently, Adelaide United legend Travis Dodd joined the podcast to talk a little bit about his involvement in leading a team from South Australia in the First Nations Indigenous Football Cup, and he talks a little bit about his role uh, and what he has done in the Indigenous football space uh, as well, a really insightful discussion from Travis to get to get an idea of, of what he has been doing over the last few years in this space and, and what still needs to be done, of course, as well. Uh, um, and and getting his insight on this was was very interesting. But also, of course, Travis is uh, coaching at the moment as well, coaching Croydon FC in the National Premier League South Australia. And uh, we had a brief discussion with him as well on, on Croydon and, and uh, how they went, of course, this year in 2022 and, and what his plans are as well with the team in 2023. So fascinating to get some insight from him on that. And uh, we finished our discussion with him just talking a little bit about, uh, of course, one of his most beloved clubs uh, from his playing career, Adelaide United, and how they've started the season so far. Of course, uh, without a win in the first two rounds, but uh, nonetheless, uh, still playing some decent football and, and just getting Travis' thoughts on that was uh, was interesting. And of course, just also hearing about uh, his thoughts on on how the A-League has started so far in season 2022-23. Some interesting comments, by the way, on uh, on Scott Jamison as well and his haircut. So uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, never, nevertheless, um, after after Travis joined us, uh, uh, and we're very grateful for his time, of course. Uh, fortunately, we did have some technical issues with, uh, with Matt Olsen in the podcast. So if... Uh, I do mention the podcast, but if you notice Matt just drop out mysteriously, he did have some issues. Uh, he did have some issues with uh, with his audio and, and some technical issues. So uh, unfortunate that he could not join us for the full podcast. But me and Antonis, we uh, we took it from there and uh, having a brief discussion about the start of the new A League men's season. Of course, two rounds in and a lot of storylines at play already. Daniel Arzani. Could he make the Socceroos squad? Western United, what's going on there? So all sorts of uh, narratives that are already starting in this new A-League season. But anyway, without further ado, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and joining me today, uh, we've got FPF writers Antonis Begonis and Matt Olson. Uh, boys, how are we going? All right, yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Matt, all good? Uh, quite frustrated after the news earlier this afternoon, but not really <laughs> much I can do about it now. Of course, Matt's uh, just referencing the the news that uh, Qatar have been awarded the hosting rights for the, for the 2023 Asian Cup. Um, so yes, that was uh, announced earlier today and, um, yeah, we are also joined tonight by a very special guest, um, Croydon FC, uh, manager, uh, Travis Dodd, former Adelaide United, uh, legend as well. Travis, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks boys. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right. Um, so yeah, Travis, we're just going to get straight into it. Um, I'm sure, you know, uh, a man of your stature, we've got a whole bunch of questions um, to ask you. And um, yeah, we'll just start off uh, first, of course, it was recently uh, um, on the on the news recently on, on Channel 7 uh, here in Adelaide, uh, an announcement around the First Nations Indigenous Football Cup. 
um, with yourself and and Fred Adjus as well, um, former Adelaide United player too involved in. Um, just give us a, a bit of an insight um, into into what this what this is all about uh, and and uh, what this is going to do as well for the Indigenous community and football as well. Yeah, look, thanks. Um, this is something that it's always been in the back of my mind about creating pathways and opportunities for young Indigenous kids to play the game and get exposure to the game. Uh, I looked as a player, um, as a professional player in Australia and you know, the the Federation Football Federation Australia at the time, they, they were stopped starting with Indigenous programs. There was a football festival every now and then. And then I finished playing and you know, I wasn't really involved in the Indigenous side of football. <clears throat> Three years ago, I met up with the then Premier Steve Marshall and and asked him for funding to to start an academy, an Indigenous academy. What we got in the end was funding to pilot the program through the South Australian Aboriginal Training Academy, SASTA, uh, which is overseen by the Education Department. So this this program has <clears throat> basketball, netball, uh, football already, and we were going to create the the football. Um, of that. So we did that with uh, Metro Stars. I was a coach, assistant coach there at the time. Uh, and then three years later, that's that's evolved and uh, the numbers continue to grow in that. So that's a, a school-based program, year 10, 11, 12. Uh, the last, for the last two years, um, I've been coaching the Australian Indigenous Women's Team, the Indigenous Koalas, uh, and that's been organised through Queensland Indigenous Football and the Australian Indigenous Football Council. Uh, most recently, our game in, in March of this year, uh, we coached and, and we actually formed the board for AIFC and they asked me to, to, to start the state arm, South Australian Indigenous Football. So that's what I went away and did. Um, about three months ago, started the process to get SAIF off the ground um, put a board together, uh, got some really good people, uh, football people involved there with Josh Smith, who's uh, the White City coach, but importantly, is also the founder of One Culture Football, uh, and Angelo Carrozzo, who's uh, just come on as a board member at Adelaide City. So we formed a board with uh, those guys and a couple of others, <clears throat> and the first event for us is the First Nations Indigenous Football Cup. So the tournament is open to to men, women, and youth players. Um, through support with Football South Australia, we were able to put a uh, an email out to all of the registered Indigenous football players on the database. Unfortunately, this year uh, we didn't get the numbers for a uh, for a full youth team and a women's team, but we will be taking a men's team. So it's great that we've got. Uh, that representation from South Australia would be the first time that a team from SA has gone. Uh, so, look, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I guess the bigger picture for SAIF and what I'm looking to do with this organisation is to really get out into the community, the grassroots communities, both metro and regionally, to promote the game, to expose kids to the game on a regular basis and provide these kids an opportunity to play the game and hopefully you know, start uncovering players that can you know, progress and, and play at a, an elite level in, in Australia and beyond. So would that you say, yeah, 
Yeah, uh, sorry, uh, cutting you off. Would you say then that there was just a bit of a gap in in this space that that needed to be filled with, with something like this? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the federation, uh, football federation Australia, didn't have the capacity or uh, resources to, to to fund that. Um, football South Australia, uh, somewhat the same, but. They've been great in the conversations that I've had with them, fully supportive of SAF, which is such an important step in any organisation getting off the ground. And, and look, it's a it's a not-for-profit organisation that, you know, all of the money that we've raised uh, through sponsorship and, uh, and things like that for this trip is going back to the players. It's going back to the players to give them the opportunity to, to travel, uh, you know, with the least cost possible, Um you know, we're all volunteers in, in this. We all want to give opportunities to young uh, Indigenous kids to, to play the game. So hopefully we can continue to build that support as we as we grow uh, to provide further opportunities in the future. Absolutely. And um, as, you know, yourself, of course, the first ever Indigenous player to score for, for Australia and and. I'm sure you you know looked at as a role model um, by some of these some of these guys as well um, too. But you know some other people as well involved in this. Uh, Freddie Address as well, and um, even local league uh, Steve Peppers, a uh, very popular figure um, in the MPLs and stuff. So, uh, what um, sort of role have they played as well in 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 getting this off the ground? Look, it's it's been great. Look, there, there's no doubt that those guys as leaders in the community as well. Uh, they're they're really important in in helping us establish a team and establishing a presence in South Australia. Uh, Freddie, you know, as you may have seen in that that news article, was was voted as the most technically gifted player at the the Under Seventeen World Cup. Um, you know when he played, and that's that's an amazing um, achievement or you know something to have um, said about you. Freddie's acknowledged that he made some bad choices throughout his career and now he's looking to focus his energy into helping these young kids in you know providing the right pathways and and giving them the advice that he probably didn't receive when when he was growing up so have somebody like that uh, invested in the organization and and in the team has been fantastic and look he's going to be a very important part to SIIF's growth uh, in the future. Steve Pepper, he's he's had experience uh, overseas. He's played uh, internationally, so he's been involved in the Australian Indigenous Roos, the men's uh, Australian team previously. So again, he comes with a, a lot of experience for the younger players and with the group. Um, you know, it is a very mixed bag of of age groups, uh, abilities, um, playing wise. So. Our youngest player is 16 years old uh, from the Riverland, uh, and we've got myself, um, I'm a player coach, uh, the oldest player at 42. So I've I've resigned myself to playing five minutes a game, which is fine, <laughs> but look, it's just a great opportunity for a group of Indigenous players to be able to come together and and play football. So I think that in itself is is a massive achievement for what we've done. I saw briefly in that in that clip um, on Channel Seven, though. You know, you were running around. Seemed like you know you still still got a little bit about you, surely. <laughs> yeah, all of the clips that they showed in that news article was all of the running that I did for the whole session. <laughs> uh, it's limited. 
And any chance we get to see you play along your son in this tournament? Yeah, yeah. So my son, my son's coming coming along, um, which is great. Uh, we've we've not had that opportunity before. My son played. Son's twenty one now. He played when he was younger. Started off when he was five or six, um, and I actually encouraged him to to stop playing when when he was about thirteen. It was around thirteen, fourteen. Um, he was reasonable at tennis, but one of the main reasons for that was because. I, I thought it was unnecessary pressure. I was still playing at the time and you know, he had coaches, parents saying to him, you know, I'll do this like your dad, do that like your dad. And I just thought it was it was unnecessary pressure. Um, but now it's it's a great opportunity. And to be honest, like my involvement with the Australian Indigenous teams is probably one of the driving factors why my son has got involved back with the game and and also my daughter who, who will um, – you know, she's not going to play for South Australia, but um, she's able to go and represent and and play with a team in Northern Territory. That opportunity for her, and she's only played for a year, and it's because of my involvement in this. So already we're, we're starting to achieve what we set out to, and that was to expose kids to the game. Yes, my kids have seen plenty of her, but they haven't really played her uh, a lot. So... Yeah, getting both of my kids back into it is is a massive achievement already. And that's what Freddie was saying last week, that he lacked that kind of role model, how important representation is. And you talk about your own kids, but how important is it for Indigenous kids all around to see people like you who's been at the top level and still advocating someone like Freddie, like you said, has misstepped but is now leading this conversation and even a professional player in Louis Laurie Latanzia from South Australia, achieving his goals playing in Canada right now. How important is this representation? It's huge, uh, especially in in our code of football. Uh, we see that there are a lot of role models within the AFL and rugby league, obviously AFL predominantly here in SA, but uh, you know, these kids don't get the opportunities to see the role models, the Indigenous role models within football, our football. So, you know, we need to get out there and promote the game, but it's the the hard thing is it's not going to be one or two people. It's going to take it's going to take a team. It's going to take a family to to grow this and and to achieve the type of goals that that we set out to achieve. And you know, it's it's all about baby steps. And this is literally our first step to be able to get a team to Brisbane for this tournament, uh, and then to and then to start getting out into communities to exposing these kids to the game yeah and one of my favorite events in south australian football has become the annual indigenous game your Croydon side has against metro how important is it to have that share those stories to have those clubs involved and how important is it, do you think for other clubs to join in and what can football south australia do to promote that message well absolutely and and that indigenous round came about because of the involvement with that Metro had at the time with SASTA uh, and the Indigenous Academy there. So yeah, they wanted to start uh, an Indigenous round and you know, Croydon at the time was the, the team that they wanted to do it with. And unfortunately, COVID, we missed the first year because of COVID, but we've been able to do it for the next two years, which has been fantastic. And you know, to be the first clubs in South Australia to do that was, was an amazing thing to have been able to be a part of. But it's again, that's the first step in in promoting the game for Indigenous kids in in this state. Now, 
I've spoken with Football South Australia as well about uh, looking to do an Indigenous round, um, as a lot of other codes do around the country, and and it's something that we're working towards. There's no doubt about it. Look, it's 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 hard to do. Um, it's a lot of organising, but I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. You you sort of you sort of yeah you're led by the top as well, uh, and unfortunately, again, Football Australia hasn't has been going for 15 years and and hasn't implemented an indigenous round at this stage um but they've had a star wars round and that yeah. that really frustrates me mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's really sad that that we can find time and energy to do things like that but we can't promote the game within the indigenous community well Tra- travis just just on that sorry antonis that's um, you go that's all right um, Travis, just can you can you speak more to the efforts at a national level that have been um, sort of constructed for more Aboriginal development uh, within within the game and, and getting kids from those communities more involved? Yeah, look, it's no, it's a little bit difficult because I'm not on the in, inner circle, I guess, for the last yeah. um, you know seven or eight years that I've been retired. What is it, nine years um, that I've been retired? But you know, certainly when I was a player. There were there were probably two or three indigenous football festivals, but they were, you know, they were a year apart. They were two or three years apart, and and it was a one-off event. So, in in my opinion, with this type of thing, you're never going to get buy-in or or get continuity from one-off events. It's got to be a more sustained mm-hmm. approach where you're you're seeing the kids on a on a weekly or fortnightly basis to to get him involved and and getting some rapport building rapport with these kids so that they they feel comfortable to to continue on their development uh you know one one organization that is doing a phenomenal role uh and job at the moment is john moriarty foundation of which yeah. i'm on the advisory board so you know that's that's an organization that's been going for a long time but where they've taken that from in John Moriarty's uh, community in remote Northern Territory, Boralula, where I have had the opportunity to go and all of the kids just play soccer. It's great. Like That's yeah. all they do. That's the only sport they play and it's fantastic to see. But what they've been able to, to build with, with John and Roz is, is amazing to, to have uh, scholarships for kids to be able to come from communities to, for education, which is so important. Uh, I think they actually their their first scholarship holder was Shadeen Evans, who who has been in the Young Matildas. Um, I'm not sure if she's represented the Matildas uh, at this stage, but I know she's potentially been in squads. But look, that's that's an opportunity for a player that never would have come had it not been for JMF. Yeah. And that's what we love to see, and that's what we want. That's what I'd love to see from from our national body. You know, to have. That type of investment in the game and in the code to to help these kids along, not not necessarily having to to rely on you know third party organisations to to do all the heavy lifting. Is there any enlightenment you can give us uh, as to what Jade North's role is at the FA as a sort of um, advisory to the Aboriginal football community? Yeah, so they, so uh, Football Australia put together uh, an advisory, an Indigenous advisory committee. Um, and and look, to be honest, I don't know how that's going. Um, I've I've got no involvement in it. Um, yeah, I haven't really 
been contacted to, to understand what they're doing, um, which, mm. which again, I think it's uh, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity. Um, yeah. But look, at the end of the day, they're they're on their own path, um, and it, look, we as an organisation, both South Australian Indigenous Football and Australian Indigenous Football Council, we want to have that that partnership with Football Australia and each of the state federations because there's there's no point one one person or one team, one organization doing it alone. It's it's about us doing it together. You know, together we are we can be a massive, massive machine that can reach so many players. So, you know, we, we just need to find a way to for everyone to come together. And like you said, this is just only the first steps we're currently taking towards that. Looking at this, say, a decade down the line, what do you hope to have achieved 10 years from now to call this a success? Antonis, you've put me on the spot there. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm just trying to get through to November, mate. I'm trying to get away on the 6th of November. My objective is to make it back on the 6th of November. But look, no, no hamstring injuries. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Come back injury-free. No, look, it's, it's clear for me in my mind that, you know, I want to be able to have an organisation in South Australia that that has people in the across South Australia working in remote communities doing similar type stuff to what JMF is doing in terms of you know weekly training sessions for for the kids and and really just promoting the game and and giving these kids an opportunity to play the the other thing as well is yes I've spoken a lot about the opportunity to play but there's, there's so many other factors that that come into it as well. It's it's about being able to promote the importance of education, um, well-being, whether it's mental and your health, uh, you know, well-being and, and making the right choices and, and decision-making in, in those types of things because, you know, unfortunately, uh, Indigenous people across Australia, um, you know, have, have had uh, or not had, uh, they're prone to, you know, not being as, uh, you know, I guess, have the opportunities socially and economically to, to, to understand and do these things. So you know, we want to contribute to not only football, but to, to general well-being as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just last one on this uh, from me. Um, so we know uh, the AFL um, do a lot of course with with indigenous programs and, and indigenous youth and, and we see with with many indigenous players in the afl and how successful they've been with that um what do you think uh because we know here in australia in terms of football participation at a youth level is is you know through the roof and it and it is ahead of all other sports but what do you think um maybe football australia or or whoever these organizations need to do to to really engage indigenous kids um at, at a young level yeah, look, it's for me, in my, in my opinion, anyway. Um, yes, the participation rate rate is is very high. Um, if you look at what the AFL does and rugby league so well, it's getting into the grassroots communities. That that takes a lot of resources, both manpower and financially. Where both of these codes are very very fortunate is that you know they've both signed billion dollar TV deals. You know, mm. So that gives them the opportunity to filter that money down to everyone. Uh, unfortunately, we as a code are not in that position. You know, the, one of the, the big things for me is that 
both both AFL and rugby league are on free to wear television. So you know, you don't need to pay to have a subscription to be able to watch the game. You know, yes, we've got two games a week now on uh, on free to wear, but you know, these these kids in communities can't see can't see the game. You know, they don't see enough of the game. Whereas they get AFL and, and rugby league ran down their throat um, every other day. So, yeah, that's that's a big part of it for me is the exposure to the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, all right, well, moving on then. Uh, and um, we'll also talk about, uh, of course, uh, Croydon and um, uh, next season, uh, a big season for, for your team, uh, of course, uh, expected to move into a new stadium um, as well. And uh, just, I can already see a bit of a smile on your face. What uh, What are your thoughts uh, on that? No, look, it's uh, moving into the new stadium is going to be fantastic. Um, I, I do joke with my football director, Mark Rosali, about it quite a bit because when I sat down with him two years ago uh, to come on board, it was he, he said to me, you know, we've got one year playing at, uh, at Burks and, and training at John Hart, then the second year will definitely be in the new ground and... Then the second year came and we were definitely nowhere near being in that new ground. So where we are now is I expect to be to be in there for the start of preseason, which will be end of November. Um, you know, every everything's pretty much finished. Uh, it's just you know the car park to go. So so look, it's been it's been a tough journey. You know, for for my first two years as a coach to. Uh, you know, the training facilities that we've had at John Hart weren't fantastic with the pitch and whatnot. Um, having to play, you know, games at Bacala, whilst Burks have been fantastic hosts and, you know, given us everything we needed, it's not your home ground. Um, now, when I look at the results and where we finished in the last couple of years, we seventh in my, uh, my first year, sixth last year. Uh, when I speak to the players when I do reviews at the end of the season, you know, one thing I do point out to them is that, you know, we've effectively paid, you know, 50, 50 odd games away from home um, in the last two and a half years and made finals twice and missed out one year. So year before with, with Ange Costanzo. So I think that shows a huge amount of resilience within the group to be able to uh, deal with those uh, issues for, for two and a half years and to still be able to come out and perform. There's always room for improvement. I know that. And you know, we'll, we'll look to rectify that as we do every year. And, and we hope that um, this year will be a really exciting year, both on and off the park for us. Yeah. And um, so we uh, did a piece with on your captain, uh, Lucas Klimek, on our site uh, a few weeks ago now, uh, live on, on frontpagefootball.net. And... Um, yeah, uh, just Lucas, uh, he's an absolute club legend, um, over 300 games, 350, I believe, my apologies. Um, and he's, yeah, it was obviously a big event this year um, when he when he celebrated that milestone. Uh, some say he celebrated it three times um, this year as well. But um, what, what's it like to have him as a captain and, and, and to lead this team, uh, you know, a real a Polonia boy really since, since birth? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, he's just such a genuine person uh, and player. He's he's a player that will give you everything in every session and every game, um, and he's like the true you know, one club man. So yeah, he's he's a, a great leader. Um, 
he's not the biggest talker. I don't know how many words you got out of him when you when you did the interview of him. He's not the biggest talker, but uh, and it's something that I that I love to keep working on with him. But you know, what he does phenomenally well is he's a leader. He's a leader on and off the park. Um, you know, the way that he looks after himself. And look, he's only early thirties, but um, I think he's the type of player that will be able to go around for you know another two or three years. And and I hope that he does because the standards and the examples that he sets at every training session, uh, every game is second to none. So, you know, he's, he's certainly uh, a player that has been such a, a great servant to the club. And, and hopefully we get to enjoy more success with him um, in the next coming years. And you guys got, like you said, You've had all these difficulties. You made finals in 2022 and you were a notoriously tough side to beat. I think you had one of the best, if not the best, defensive record in the league. Where you kind of let yourselves go a bit was going forward. You basically were scoring as much as you were conceding and that wasn't much. What can you do to rectify that? Because I think you're, I guess, a cutting edge away from being an actual contender. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you can't hide away from from those types of stats. Uh, again, and it's something that we spoke about uh, post-season, that you know, defensively we did have one of the best records, but you know, when when your top goal scorer is on five goals, that's you're not going to be a chance realistically of, of winning titles. So you know, that's clearly an area that we need to, to focus on. Um, you know, we we had uh, players like Seb Good, um, who is an electric winger, but found himself injured for a lot of the season. Um, so we've we've focused really hard with him this off season to get his body right. Uh, you know, Pete Mercurio as well, who played as a nine for us as uh, striker, battled with the injuries on and off the park. So if we can keep those two players fit. For this season, it's it's almost like having two new players within the squad. Um, unfortunately, uh, we've lost we've lost players, but that's part and parcel of football. Um, uh, Anthony Trimboli's gone, um, but it gives opportunities for other players to come in. We've signed Tom Visser mm. from Cumberland, who whilst he's young, he's got a lot of potential. And yeah, as a winger, as the winger myself, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to having that that opportunity to to work with him and, and help him develop and along with my other players. But you know, just to wrap that up, you, you're right, we need to score more goals. Um, there's no doubt about it. I did plenty of shooting last year, but obviously my sh- my drills weren't working because we were shit in front of goals. And one thing I, that I've loved about the Indigenous football in SA in the past year. Well, he's a great supporter of Indigenous football in South Australia and a great supporter of yours, Rob Saraceno, that you worked together at Metro. Close friend of yours, and unfortunately, he got let go by Metro. And you're working together now in Indigenous football in South Australia. Any interest in getting him involved at Croydon? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I put the call out to him straight away. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard, and you know, I understand his position. He's been a, a head coach now for seven years, um, you know, and I've asked him to come on board with me to to help me. I figure 
that I served four years under him. So he's got to return the favour at some point. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the angle I'm going with. Um, but look, uh, realistically, yeah, him, Nick Bazalis, who I worked with at Metro as well, um, are both fantastic coaches. I'd love to work with both of them at Croydon. Um, you know, Robbie, Robbie is he's a head coach. I see him as a head coach. Um, you know, it's just it's more about a title uh, than more than anything. Um, his experience um, that he's gained over the last few years would be very valuable to me as a as a third year coach. And you know, watch this space. <laughs> Looking forward to it. And uh, what about uh, yourself uh, in the head coaching role? Um, of course, you worked under Robbie at Metro, and I mean, you played under several managers in your career as well. What have you taken anything uh, from those managers uh, that that you've brought into to your own philosophy? Oh, look, it's um, yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, yeah, I never when I was playing, I never thought that I would coach. Never saw myself as a coach. Wasn't interested at all. Even. Even when I retired um, through injury, wasn't interested in coaching. But yeah, you 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 miss that change in that team environment. So coaching is the natural progression to go into. Um, you know, probably the the coaches that you know, I learned the most off from a tactical point of view. Um, Alistair Edwards in in Perth was was fantastic. Um, you know, he he taught me a lot and spent a lot of time injured that year as well. So I was probably paying attention a lot more, but each coach provides you with, with different um, perspectives. You know, Cozzy, one of my first coaches in the A-League, um, was, was a coach that was really good at being able to motivate players and, and get players, getting players to come together and, and playing as a team for each other. And I think we did that really well. And it's something that Vidi continued on with because, you know, you don't go through with Adelaide United, you don't go through a, an Asian League, Asian Champions League campaign um, on the budget that we had. And, you know, we were good players, but, you know, technically we weren't, I don't think, as good as some of the teams that we came up against. But we had that camaraderie, you know. So it's it's being able to find that mix and that balance to, to get bits and pieces from each coach um, to try and mould it into your own. But, you know, I, I've found... In the last couple of years, um, Cozzy was the most aggro coach I think that I had. <laughs> a lot of that has worn off on me towards the the Croydon players. You, you haven't. You, you're not going to have any touchline um, scuffles with any on-field players um, <laughs> from the from the bench. You never know. You never know. Uh, depends if the right if the if the stars align, anything's possible. I'm not going to rule it out. Who is your Kevin Musket? <laughs> yeah. Who is my Kevin? That's a good question. Who is my Kevin Musket? Yeah, you know, I have to say it was it was Evan Kunavellis uh, about 12 months ago, but yeah, we've we've buried the hatchet now and, and we're all good. So um, no, I don't think there's there's really anyone. Might be might be Trimboli, you know, this year because he's moved clubs and he'll be on the wing, and God help. Him if he comes near the bench. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, just on Croydon as well, I've noticed over the past week a lot of re-signings have been announced um, on on the club social media and stuff, so very much getting prepared uh, for next season uh, as of right now, uh, I'd imagine, too. Right now, uh, Christian, this 
the season doesn't stop. The football yeah. season doesn't stop. And that's I've been- heard, by the way, Travis, sorry to cut you off, but I've heard, I believe, like, Eastern United have started pre-season now that's, already. That's insane. Yeah. Like, that, that is insane. I don't understand that at all. And I'd hate to be a player at Eastern United, but, you know, each to their own. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it actually doesn't stop. You go through a review with the players at the end of the season, and then, you know, to be fair, we, we'd signed all of these players on, you know, a week after the season, two weeks after the season, just getting to the announcements now. Um, so, you know, I knew that they were all on board, but a, a few. Um, but, you know, you're constantly you're constantly planning, you're constantly trying to sign players and, and look for what players are available. So, you know, we finished in, I don't even know, September or something, August, last August this year. Um, I don't think I've actually had a week where, you know, you haven't had football conversations. You know, I went to Bali three weeks ago for a week and Mark Rosali rang me every day about players. It's like, mate, will you piss off and leave me alone? I just want a week, but it just doesn't happen. So yeah, you're constantly in that, that, that thought process of, uh, of getting going. And then, you know, before you know it, preseason comes around again. Yeah. And um, uh, in the interview with David Lucas as well, he mentioned, uh, around just the the NPL as a whole in South Australia, a lot more younger players coming through, uh, a lot of teams now featuring uh, young players who are starting week in, week out, and he believed that the quality has improved a lot since he first started out. How, what are your thoughts on 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 the NPL in South Australia and how it's evolved over the, the last um, few years? Yeah, look, I, I can really only comment for the, for the time that I've been back in South Australia. Um, and, and look, it is great to see the opportunities coming to younger players, um, you know, I mean, there's, you're always going to have the, the older players that are an important piece of every squad because they provide that leadership and that guidance um, and that experience. And that, I say that because Metro signed me as a 36-year-old, so that's what I provided to, to Metro at the time. Um, but, look, you know, the youth, the youth players are so important because – they, a lot of these kids want to strive to, to go to the next level. And, you know, I look at the players that I've had over the last couple of years and the opportunities that these younger ones are getting and you know, hopefully they can they can kick on and take it to the next step because, you know, the, the opportunities will be there. Um, when you compare it to the only, the only problem I see is, you know, is New South Wales and Victoria with the money that they're able to offer uh, players, which is, you know, three three, four times more than than what clubs can afford in South Australia. So, you know, there's also a perception that if you go to New South Wales or Victoria and play in the NPL there, you'll get more of a look in. Um, and unfortunately, I, I do think there's an element of truth to that as well. So it's it's an issue that I think we need to address in South Australia. Certainly the financial one's not going to be something that that we can control, but you know, how do we how do we get our players here in SA in front of A League coaches, that's that's the big thing for me. And uh, so, moving on, then uh, we'll just talk briefly about uh, the new A League season. Uh, of course, with with two rounds in now, um, and I imagine you've been you've been tuned in, you've been watching a few games. Oh, absolutely, love it, yeah. love the A League. So, no, look, it's um, it's I did a did a podcast with Adelaide United, and we we spoke about the squad in in quite a bit of detail and and things about the, the squad with Adelaide. Um, you know. It's, it's a tough one. I, I think the squad is, uh, you know, with Bruce and, and Robbie we were talking, um, you know, we can all agree pretty much on a, 
on an 11 and 12 player squad, but it's really after that, which players are going to stand up this season and and really you know, put their hand up and say, I'm going to be a first team player, I'm going to be a regular, I'm going to score, I'm going to assist, I'm going to control the midfield, or I'm going to be, I'm going to shore up the defence, whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, it's a really important uh, time for Adelaide United. Yeah, a win, uh, sorry, a loss and a, and a draw to start the season, I guess, is not great. Um, you know, one thing I spoke about for Adelaide is that it's the importance of getting runs on the board early. Um, you don't want to have to come into the back end of the season chasing results to to get into finals. You don't want to have to rely on results to get in. And, you know, you really want to be playing home finals. So, you know, they've got their work cut out. It's good to see Goodwin back in the squad. A lot of contention about whether or not that's premature or not, though, because you know, he's coming back from, from the injury. There's no doubt that he wants to get himself fit to go to the World Cup or get selected for the World Cup. Um, and the flip side to that is with with Fakal is he's one of Adelaide's best players. So, you know, it's it's a tough one. Do you throw him in the deep end, which they did on the weekend, to try and get him fit? You know, the risk is there. Are you going to blow him up before um, before the World Cup comes? So, a lot to weigh up there. And uh, of course. Uh, Perth Glory as well, a uh, club that you played for in uh, at, right at the end of your playing career too. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on them at the moment? They've had, of course, um, a really tough couple of years uh, and even this season uh, playing home games away from home. Uh, of course, an experience you know very well. So, um, yeah, uh, what, what are your thoughts on on Perth at the moment? Look, it is it is a tough one. Um, you know, having continuity of coaches is, is an important thing, um, you know, Zagkovic and Chris Coyne came into the fold towards the back end of last season. And it was very evident that, you know, playing a lot of kids, um, you know, I guess testing which players they really wanted to, to keep for the following year for this season. So, uh, you know, a new coach, first senior gig, um, that's always going to be tough. Uh, and being a relatively young coach, there's, there's probably players that he still played with. So having to make, those calls on players um, will be tough. Uh, you know, knowing uh, Ruben a little bit, he he seems like a strong character that that will be able to deal with those types of situations and, and make those calls. So, look, you know, Tony Sage has been been a great owner for the club. He's he's obviously invested a lot of money over the years and wants to see success at that club. So, you know, I got on got in really well with, with everyone at the club and and do wish them every success, although it's been a, a tough t- start to the season for them as well. We'll just turn to Travis, just talk about your playing career um, a little bit. So um, me and uh, Antonis, um, uh, of course, from Adelaide here, and uh, we watched you many times when we were younger, I'm sure, um, playing playing for Adelaide United. When, when you reflect back uh, on that, you know, um, being, you know, the first Australian to score a hat trick in the Champions League and, and captaining the team and and the the success that uh, you know the team had under really Vidmar and, and and even Cosy as well. You know, how do you really sum it up when you when you look back on it? Oh, it, was, it was an amazing it was an amazing journey that we went on. Yeah, you know, boys boys gave me shit would give me shit about being you know, about scoring a hat being the first uh, player to score a hat trick in the Champions League, but you know. Somebody has to do it. Like even against a team like Dong Tam Long Am, somebody has to score. <laughs> the goal. 
and nobody else could do it. So the fact that I did, it actually means something. So, you know, if they give me shit, it just goes to show how bad the rest of them were um, that they couldn't do it. So, so look, it's it was great to be a part of that, to 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 be you know, we were pioneers at the time to in that in that you know campaign, and we had no idea what we were coming up against. To be honest, um, you know, going to going to China, going to Thailand, going to Vietnam, Korea, Japan. Um, yeah, it was everything was unbelievable. And then yeah, the ultimate was definitely the Champions League campaign where we made the final. Um, even the lead up to that, you know, the, the quarterfinals uh, against um, Kashima, um, you know, scoring there and and in Japan and and then winning at home, the the semi final against Bunyadkor, um, that was amazing. You know, to give you an idea on what we're coming up against, um, the the team, somebody from the club from Bunyadkor actually called Adelaide United and said. You know, where do we park? Where do we leave our plane? Where do we leave our private jet? Mate, like we're flying, we were flying economy class everywhere and these guys are bringing private jets over. So, you know, they had Rivaldo at the club, you know, earning four times our salary cap. Um, Zico, coach, World Cup legend. Um, so, you know, we were up against every week. And again, it just goes to show that, you know, this team had resilience, it had camaraderie, and we just went out and, and fought for each other and you know, we reaped the rewards. Unfortunately, um, we got a touch-up in the final, but you know, to, to have got there was a, a pretty special achievement. And just to wrap it up with what we are talking about before, like we mentioned, you are not one just a bit part player at the club. You are one of the club's legends. And we see former players like Marcelo Carrusco work with the club to do his um, academies, especially in the school holidays. Would you be interested in doing something in something like that with your Indigenous program, kind of to get the club behind such a worthy cause as it gets bigger and bigger? Yeah, look, and it's something that the club has expressed an interest in, which is fantastic. Um, you know, and we'll definitely progress that with the club down the track. I guess the hard thing for me is... Um, you know, is my involvement with, um, you know, the coaching aspect of it because, you know, the reality is you know, I have a job that, you know, my own business that, that I'm running on a full-time capacity and just don't have the time to be able to mm. take out of the day to to be able to do the the coaching, you know, at that face-to-face level. So, you know, there's, there are players that have played the game, you know, Karuska's one, Casio, Marcos Flores, um, that have dedicated themselves post football to you know to coaching um, you know, on a full time basis, whether it's in a professional environment or not. But they're coaching, and it's just not something that I went into. But you know, look, I would love to see an involvement with Adelaide United and South Australian Indigenous football because I think the opportunities are immense. Um, you know, I would love to be able to see uh, a player come through and, and play for the Adelaide United first team, whether it's in the men's or the women's. Um, yeah, that would be uh, the ultimate achievement for me from a footballing perspective to to be able to say that we contributed to that success. And uh, just last, finally, uh, from me, the A-League in general, first two rounds, what have you, what have you noticed? Um, what do you think 
think has been good? Uh, anything that's been worrying at all um, from what you've watched so far? Um, no, look, I mean, it's it's early on in terms of uh, the, the playing aspect. I think players are still going to be, you know, clubs are still going to be trying to find their rhythm, whatnot. You know, again, you look at, uh, at teams like Adelaide United, Perth Glory would be similar. Um, you know, they, in the build-up to the season, playing a lot of MPL teams, not getting that that hardened, you know, first-team games. Um, you know, you look at, you know, someone like Brisbane Raw, who I saw uh, in the Australia Cup and, and thought they were going to be unstoppable uh, to an extent because you know, Charlie Austin uh, was was fantastic that night uh, here. Um, but, you know, they've, they've played games in pre-season against these Premier League teams. So, you know, they come in with, with a handful of games, you know, really firing and ready to go. Um, you know, looking at the top of the table, you know, Western Sydney and Melbourne City, you know, Great to see Western Sydney back, you know, winning games after the the doldrums that they've been in for the last uh, few years. And Melbourne City, you know, are they going to be the team? Um, I think to, that'll have the targets on their backs again. You know, whilst they did lose final last year, the the consistency that they've shown under Chris Norbo and my little mate Scott Jamison uh, <laughs> as a skipper has been fantastic. You know, they they've set the benchmark and. You've got teams like MacArthur and Sydney, in particular, that that really need to step up after um, an ordinary couple of years. And just finally, um, yeah, finally, quickly from yeah, me, last yeah. thing, I won't keep you for long. Watching the Reds play, what have you made of the game style? For me, at times it feels kind of you know one dimensional. We're going to go wide and cross it and hope for the best. Are you hoping to see a bit more from Calvert's side, a few different ways of beating sides? Because it feels kind of predictable at times for me right now look there's there's no doubt that that any any coach and any football team needs to have plan a and plan b and plan c i think unless you ask Ange postacoglu who only has plan a um but you know and that, and that's fine to, to only have plan a as long as you become brilliant at that and you know it it's it's effective um yeah, look it's the thing for me is, uh, you know, you've got stronger players in the wide areas, um, you know, in Halloran and, and Goodwin, and the tendency will be to to try and get the, the ball to to your best players. Um, so, you know, naturally that the ball goes into to wider areas. It's I think it's about, you know, the, the midfield in particular, uh, commanding the ball a lot more and and looking to to try and play through the middle, you know, with Zach Clough, he's got. I think there's a lot of expectation on him this year uh, as a as a foreign player to to produce. Now he's got to produce goals and he's got to produce assists. And as a foreign player, unfortunately, you you take it or leave it. You know that's that's the way. That's what you're signing up for um, in this country as a as a foreign player. So you know a lot of expectation there. Um, you know, I'd love to see one day come back into the into the squad, uh, into the starting eleven. I think he's going to be really important, um, you know, cog in the midfield for Adelaide United as well. And uh, just finally, you just mentioned Scott Jamison there. Have you spoken to him about his new role at um, centre-half yet? No, he's not a centre-half. I can give you the hot tip <laughs> there. Um, look, what I, have, I haven't spoken to him about that. What I have spoken to him about, though, is his shit haircut. Um, look, I understand that he's gone, he's starting to recede and whatnot. He's bitten the bullet and, and lopped it all off. But 
it's it's not a good look. Um, I love the bloke. I do. Um, you know, I, I do speak to him. You know, every other week. Um, you know, where I can. Um, so yeah. Uh, he's he's a great leader for the club. The reality is, he's the first championship winning captain for the club. Um, and he's he's had a great career. So you know, he'll he'll continue to be important for Melbourne City and. You know, he'd, be, he'd have to be one of the smallest centre-halves uh, going around in the game in world football. So I don't imagine that it will be a long-term a long-term proposition no, for him. Yeah. No, no, uh, I don't think so either. Um, Travis, awesome work, mate. Um, absolutely fantastic to have you on. Uh, really insightful stuff there, um, getting an insight there into the, into the Indigenous football stuff that you're doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just great to have you on to have a chat. Cheers, boys. No worries. Pleasure. Best of luck in the tournament. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We'll keep you posted. Don't pull a hamstring. Yeah, <laughs> as well. I guarantee there. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to go off to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the first two rounds of the new A-League men's season. Okay. So two rounds in to the new A-League men's season. And... For the moment, I'm just going to be joined for the rest of this podcast by Antonis um, because, unfortunately, Matt's had some technical difficulties and he's just had to drop out of this podcast, but uh, hoping that he'll be on the next podcast for sure. So, anyway, the first two rounds of the A-League men, quite a few talking points, but as South Australian um, journos, we are going to dig in a little bit into Adelaide United. Um, and I don't mean dig in necessarily as in like we're just going to absolutely abuse them. No, no, no. I'm just saying we're just going to, you know, analyze them, you know. So don't don't think it's just hate. Um, and uh, dissect these first two games for Adelaide. So it starts off with a one-all draw in Wellington. Uh, Wellington, Jan Sass being sent off in the first half. And then Adelaide go behind to 10 men uh, with 15 minutes to go. Ben Wayne scoring and then Ben Halloran. Uh, the two Bens on the score sheet with Ben Halloran getting the equalizer right at the end. Uh, so one all was how that one finished. And then on the weekend, on Sunday, MacArthur continuing their fantastic form under Dwight York, winning 2-0 against the Reds with Lockie Rose and Daniel Arzani with the goal. So, Antonis, my question to you is, what's what's the mood, I guess, amongst Adelaide United supporters, really, at the moment? You're, you'd be very you know, very well placed to give that kind of perspective. And what's the feeling in particular towards Carl Viet? Because... He's been in charge for a while now, and there was a feeling with with some of the offseason recruitment that was done that that, that this team potentially um, is not I mean, not primed to contend, but it, it's definitely uh, a bit more competitive on paper than what it was. Yeah, I guess Carl's earned the benefit of the doubt. I guess after a slow start, because we saw that last year. I think the Reds didn't win the first seven eight matches, so much we're in a very similar situation. So, you know, time will tell. The first few games are on the road. One thing that I have noticed is huge amounts of possession for United, but the issue remains, what do you do with 60, 65% of the ball? Because having the ball is great, but unless you do something with it, there's an issue. And you saw that in Wellington, that it felt like we almost thought, or United almost thought that, the job was going to get done. You're going to keep the ball. The chance is going to come eventually. And the Phoenix kind of felt comfortable and they got the equaliser. And not uh, not until then did the United start playing 
actually proactively looking for a goal, which they found in the end. I just feel at times United creates those problems for mm. itself. You know, we talk about Via time, how great it is with all these late comebacks. But you have to remember that there's a reason why you need those comebacks. You put yourself in the situations. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So one stat which is always interesting, I think, with Adelaide is XG. And first game against Wellington, Wellington 0.49, Adelaide 1.32. So about 50-50, really one all draw fair result there. But it's interesting how you do say, and even I was thinking this, that Adelaide against MacArthur, again, seemed very much all the ball, but are they really creating, are they really threatening? But they actually did create, you know, 2.39 XG. So it does suggest that it was a very, you know, effective performance in possession uh, and there was just a lack of a clinical edge. Um, so when you consider that, is there a personnel issue? Is there something where... They need, because I guess you could just say on the weekend that if Zach Clough plays in that game, uh, who probably in my book still needs to do more to actually prove himself, but if he if he does if he does play um, instead of a George Blackwood, that that is you know greater quality in the final third for Adelaide for sure. Yeah, we talk about the XG, but you got to remember you have to take that into context that United actually had. For those, for those, sorry, sorry, game. sorry to cut you off. For those who are listening to us the first time, I've not always been the biggest fan of Zach Clough, so. Anyway, yes, Antonio. And he's going to have a great year as long as he stays fit. I have to say it first. Saying that for a while. I've been saying that for a while. <laughs> Jury's out, but I'm backing him. But going back to the XG chat, like, yes, two point, what was the 2.39 you said it was? Yeah. The number? So yeah, it's an on, impressive number, but you've got to remember that comes from 21 shots. So that actually says that it's the higher the amount of shots, I guess, the lower the quality of shots if it only does remain at 2.39. For me, and again, it's not the issue is not that we're not that United is not creating. You cause a lot of chaos. And you could see they got the ball in the net three times, obviously doing something right. But for me, this game style, like we were talking with Travis before, it kind of gets a bit too predictable at times. You go wide, you cross, and you're hoping Hiroshi can get his set on it. Or mm. ball drops, a bit of chaos, someone taps it in. I feel like I feel work. like Hiroshi, there's there's more you can do with him than Absolutely. just yeah, you know, he's got a real genuine technical foundation where he can drop in, not mm-hmm. but not drop in in a sense that it's like a traditional target man. It's more like actually he could receive the ball in the half turn and actually play, you know, and reward runners in behind. And that's where I enjoy Hiroshi the most because mm. One thing that he was doing so well last year, which I thought he could have taught Cassini Yengi a lot if he stayed on, is how you receive that long ball. You bring it down and play it to someone's advantage with mm. your first touch. And that's, for me, where you can, like you said, instead of going wide and crossing it because he's two metres tall, you can play it to his feet, to his chest, and he can release a Zach Clough or a Goodwin or a midfielder in that more central position. And it makes it a lot harder for a defence to deal with it because you saw, especially with Wellington, at times, they invited the players out one and said, cross it. What are you going to do? We're going to clear it. Mm. But if you're running at them, look at the first goal that the Reds conceded against MacArthur. What happened? They just ran straight mm. at the defense, at De Silva and Alzani. It's a yeah. lot more effective when you go that way. You, you Being more suck direct. a punch yeah. one in the face. And there's a time to cross. And like Travis said, with the Reds have so much quality out wide, but you become predictable at times. You have to mix it up. And it's paid fruit in the past, 
but it's about making sure we you mix it up. And I think when Zach Clough is back and fit, we're going to see a lot more of that, I'm hoping. Yeah, I think when you play with a striker like Hiroshi and you're really trying to unlock his ability to, to hold the ball up and, and to reward runners, it means you need good runners from midfield who actually are capable and intelligent of you know finding those spaces. And for me, the Louis Dorigo experiment at number eight is just not a feasible long-term experiment. I think we've tried it, you know, Adelaide have tried it for, for quite a long time now and it just doesn't really work. So as Travis was touching on there, you know, is it a case of one day coming back in, but maybe just just someone else who, who has that ability from a number eight role to actually make runs from deep and join attacks late, something like that, um, because they're not really getting anything out of that that midfield three at the moment in terms of um, definitely in an attacking sense. Yeah, when you mentioned Louis, it's important to remember that back when he broke into the team under Herchandra Baik, he was actually one of the best sixes in the country. That, that's the thing. That, I've yeah. always said that. I've always said that. You know, Verbeek yeah. got a lot of things wrong mm-hmm. in his time as Adelaide manager. But one thing you got right was Louis Dorigo. And it's a shame because then you go and sign two of the A-League's best sixes ever in mm. Juan de Isaias, mm. and that kind of cuts him out or makes him transform into a different player. And I think he can be an eight. The problem is he hasn't had the run at doing that. And is he going to receive it? I'm not sure. Is there any scope in him receiving it while results don't go United's way and there's pressure of Wanda coming back in? I'm not sure. For me, I'm a huge Johnny Yaw fan, and I know he's not fit mm. at the moment, but he'd be my eight, absolutely, when he's fit. In if starting you're good enough, first team, everything. If you're good enough, you're old enough, and I think he is good enough. You see in the MPLs, he missed like a month and he only finished a couple of votes off top. He's yeah. had a trial at Chelsea. If he's good enough for Chelsea, you know, I think he's good enough for Adelaide United. Another thing that you can think of doing, and Verbeek once again did it with Troisi and Magree, and I think it worked to an extent, we think of Troisi as a 10. He actually played him as an 8, mm. and then Magree was playing as a 10. Mm. Could you play Zach Clough as an 8? And then mm. that might make the midfield a bit more fluid. And then that might release someone like George Blackwood if he is to play as a 10 or anyone else to play as a 10 to make the midfield a bit more smoother. I don't know. Who knows? Just throwing Sorry, I lost, you, I lost you when you said George Blackwood as a 10. And George, George didn't have a great game against Wellington. It's one of the poor performances I've seen. But I'll keep but saying you thought he was better? Think... Which one do you think was worse in MacArthur or Wellington? No, he, the MacArthur game wasn't it. But I think he is a much better midfielder than he's a strike. Obviously, he's not a first-team player. He's a squad player. Mm. But I think he can do a job. He's obviously not in your preferred midfield. But until you get your players back, you make the... Yeah, yeah. You do, yeah. I think it's... it's the, the issue I think Adelaide fans are probably having is that they're seeing a very recurring theme with the way this team is playing. Um, but they do need to remember that Clough didn't play on the weekend, for example. You know, this this team, and who knows, there, there could be a scenario, and I say could because it's probably unlikely, but if if his AES is maybe still not performing to the level that potentially fans expect of him uh, and maybe Carl Viet expects of him, is there a world where he could drop out, um, Juan, they could come in as a lone six, and then the midfield could be unlocked a bit more that way? Um, because I think we've spoken about this as well, is that, 
the pivot of Vizes and Juande, although that's great in terms of controlling possession and, and having that dominance from that perspective, it doesn't really allow you, unless those two are really going to be playing, you know, spraying balls all over the pitch uh, to, to and feeding the likes of Halloran and Goodwin, doesn't really allow you to progress the ball um, with, you know, with speed uh, into into your attacking players, uh, you know, with, with, I guess, with regularity, because we know Isaiah and Juan Day are really safe, you know, safety first type type midfielders. And I think that's where it goes. I think um, I've made this point before that I feel like this midfield at times is set up to manage a game you don't have control mm. of yet, rather than go out there and claim control. If you remember back in the championship winning year for United, it wasn't until Stefan Mork came into the midfield and he provided that link between Isaias and Karuska That's as right. that dynamic eight. Mm. In Carl Witt's first full year as a coach, where there were a few issues in the midfield, there was a five-game winning streak there at the moment. And that's when Josh Cavallo came into the midfield mm. in that eight role between Stefan Mork and Louis Dorigo. So it's not just about having the name of Isaias and Juande, who have been fantastic servants for this league, for this club. Sometimes you just have to look at who's the better fit. And it might be a Johnny Yule or an Ethan Allegich, even though they're untried. You have to give them a try at some stage. Someone has to. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a quote I always go back to with Arsene Wenger saying, when I play these kids, I know that they'll cost me points, but I know it's there for the long term. And it might not just be for United in the long term. They might be good for United in three, four months' time, but they'll be even better for Australian football in one, two years' time. I know um, Patrick Kisnorba came out the other day about... Let, let's Phillips, just touch right? on that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Kisnorba obviously come out. Um, that was an interesting talking point from the round. So Kisnorba, uh, in the in light of having Mark Tilio on the bench again against Brisbane uh, for Melbourne City, which is another debate really in itself. But Kisnorba came out uh, before the game explaining his selection and saying that, you know, I'm not the national team coach and I don't need to prioritize my players for national team selection. Now, interestingly enough... That question the next day was posed to Carl Viet in his press, uh, his pre-match press conference, and he said it was maybe slightly taken out of context potentially, but he did kind of say along the lines of, you know, we we want to help our players get in the national team. That's that's what yeah. we want to do as a club. And so he was yeah. talking about Goodwin there, then I think I made that point on Twitter that these are two wildly different situations. Yeah, different One situations, is situations. Yeah. yeah, one's a young boy trying to unseed two senior Socceroos. The other one is the club captain who's trying to get back into full fitness. So it's a bit of an apples and oranges situation. And another thing for me is with Tilio, does he need to bring up? Do I think City play better with Tilio the way they want to play? Absolutely. Can I don't know though. I don't know. Up? I mean, Melbourne uh, City though. No, nah, it's for me, they're a team that has the ball. He is fantastic on the ball. Those wingers yeah. that City has, yeah. I think they are the best on the transition in the calendar. Well, I think I think he works better because he's left-footed and when he plays on the right, it gives more balance, uh, right? Yeah. And also, you can even put him in the midfield. And mm. put him in the midfield. But that's besides the point because yeah. Patrick is Norbert can come out and say, I've made the last two grand finals, that's premiership, right. championship. We haven't lost yet. I'm going to do me. Mm. For me, in the Adelaide United situation, I think we kind of see it every week that you're like, Yes, the crossing is great. This is working. When we're on, we're on. But we're always going behind. The midfield feels a bit disjointed at times. This week, for example, the midfield, it was uh, uh, there were more 
questions and answers in that midfield this week for me. And I know Zach Clough wasn't there, wasn't the ideal pairing, but it, the fact remains. So I think United are in a situation where you have to try something different to try and get a different result. Because as I mentioned, the plan, I know we lord via time and you get all these great goals at the end, but I don't think Carl Viet goes down in training and says, you know what, we're going to go goal down yeah. and we're going to come back. No one plans for that. And no. as you can see, sometimes you're working against Wellington, other times you're going to come against MacArthur and they're going to be offsides and fouls and it's not going to be your day. If you go behind, you throw away the control of the game. You, it's great to have a midfield like that to manage the game, but before you manage the game, you need to put yourself in a position to actually take control of it on the scoreboard. Absolutely. Okay, um, moving on then. So some other talking points, I guess, from the first couple of rounds. Major one is Western United. So two defeats to start. And look, they have played uh, Melbourne City and Sydney FCs. They have played top teams uh, to begin. But I, I, I think the most worrying thing from these two games is they've conceded five goals. And this was a team that was absolutely rock solid. And really, their defensive solidity was the the principal factor I felt in in winning the championship last year. But Leo Lacroix, it's been well documented now, has been a real shadow of his former self in these first couple of games. And it's just not clicking at the moment for them. What's uh, what's your assessment on Weston? It's I feel like Lacroix has been such a how can I say it? Like such a composing factor for the whole team that he starts being shaky, everyone else mm. starts being shaky. It's kind of felt like. Remember last year, they were nicknamed 1-0 FC. You go up 1-0 and yeah. forget about it. They went up 1-0 and Sydney put three past them. So yeah. it's a big concern. I wouldn't call it a championship hangover yet. I think they'll come good. But another huge thing for them is Alexander Priovic is still missing. That, uh, and, and that was a massive point I was going to bring up as well. Yeah, yeah, He is huge, not just for the scoring, but like we talked about Hiroshi before, to actually bring the ball down, mm. to play other players in. For a goalkeeper, a defender, no, I'll kick it along to this guy and he'll do something with it. It's not going to come straight back at us. Mm. Even though he's an attacker, he's a huge relieving factor for that side. Well, that's right. And when you play two teams like City and Sydney who want to press high really all the time, particularly City though, uh, who want to really take the game to their opponents all the time. And you saw it in that first game with how uncomfortable they looked playing out and they didn't have the out ball, which was Brevich. So... Absolutely spot on, uh, I think, with your assessment there. And I guess, um, you know, for them, it's just a case of going back to basics and just really reevaluating where, where they're at and, and what they need to do and what made them good uh, last year as well. The, the interesting thing is, you know, some people said maybe, well, Diamante hasn't played yet either, but it's not like Diamante was a massive principal factor in, in them winning the championship last year. So I don't think that's really a, a you know, a massive out for them for them either. Again, he can be, again, one of those relieving factors that he can get a ball and he can pick up the most insane through ball that leads you out to at least get the pressure off. But again, like I think it's something he hasn't scored from open play in like two years, something like that, which, again, he's a great player to have around the squad, a real leader, but is he the difference maker he was when he entered the league? Probably not. And mm. I think, yeah... I think the World Cup break is going to be a very handy one for them this year, just to sit back, reevaluate, and just remember who they are and that they are the A-League champions and to kind of get back to what they do well, which is 
just mm. suffocating other sides. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, now, another team who definitely weren't the A-League champions last year, but uh, are definitely flipping themselves and the fortunes uh, around is the Western City Wanderers. Two wins from two. And you just mentioned one LFC before. Well, they might actually take that crown very shortly because two games, two 1-0 wins uh, against Perth and a massive win against Melbourne Victory on Saturday, which I, I don't, I'm not going to call it a watershed moment. Some people were kind of building it up as that, uh, which I thought wasn't, yeah, I mean, it's round two uh, for me. So I, I wouldn't say it's like a turning point or anything, but it was a really resilient uh, um, performance for sure from, from the Wanderers. Well, it could be though, couldn't it? Like if mm. we look back in a few, in a few months time, the real test is in a few weeks when we're going to be there, the Sydney Derby. Yep. That's the yep. one. Yeah, we will be there. Yep. Sydney does not look like a side that will sit back and be one nilled right mm. now. For all their deficiencies, they can score. That's right. So that'll be interesting. But now the Wanderers, like you said, two from two. They've got a few home games coming up leading the Derby. So very exciting. It was great to see, for me, that away bay filled up. Yep. I'm just hoping these people return to right. Parramatta because that's what makes the league great, these people. That's what separates this code to all the other codes in this country. And a strong Wanderers leads to a stronger A-League. You know, you need that. Mm. And even though, for me, they haven't been great to watch on the eye, Western United weren't great to watch last year. That's their right to play that way. They've got silverware to show for it. It's up to the other sides to expose that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I guess for for Western Sydney, that that derby is going to be a massive, massive occasion, uh, particularly if both sides continue with the trajectory that they're on at the moment. But I, I did kind of look at the game on Saturday and feel like, I mean, victory, it just felt like they had an off night, to be honest. Like they were just, just an absolute shambles. I felt uh, um, they just couldn't get anything going at all. Uh, even Nanny was was really far off his best, um, particularly compared to the week before in the Big Blue. And it just felt like though the Wanderers had to put everything into that game uh, mm-hmm. to, to to just secure a one nil win. So you you do have to kind of look at it from that perspective and think, you know, if if they're in kind of first gear and Victor really in third gear and it's you know it's only one nil, but again. You know, you, you've got to give time even for the Wanderers. They've only, you know, they're only two weeks in as well, just like all the other teams. So they might get better. They might get better. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a situation to keep an eye on. Um, another it's situation. A of, it's a game yeah. of moments too, you know. Mm. Nanny taps that in instead of yeah. hitting the post. Yeah. It's a completely different conversation right. we're having. But, you know, all credit to them. They're six points from six. And they keep going. Absolutely. And another... Uh, talking point, which uh, has really been dominating the season so far, is Daniel Alzani, and we just mentioned the MacArthur Adelaide game there, and he is um, showing signs of the player he was when he left, first left Australian shores uh, to uh, when he first left Melbourne City, and he's yeah really looking like the player he once was at the moment, isn't he? Um, with a goal and an assist on on the weekend, a wonderful run as well to set up Lucky Rose, a lovely finish I felt for his goal as well. What are, what are you making of Daniel Arzani? What are your thoughts as well? Because we have to address it on the conversation surrounding him for soccer selection. You know, I think I made that point that he is in that game, especially going up against Adelaide. He was everything Adelaide United lacked, you know, in that confidence to take that dribble, in that confidence to go direct. Mm. And looking at the Socceroos squad, you don't have much of that, do you? Mm. So 
for me, he made the World Cup squad four years ago, which when I think he was a lot less ready than he is right now. He is a player that can do a job for you. Well, he was he many... was in the he was in the Garan Kowal situation four years ago. Exactly, wasn't he? Yeah. exactly. But right now, you can see he's had all these setbacks. He does cut a lot more mature figure, and I think he can do a job for you that not many Australian players can do. And if he comes down, say in those last spots on the plane right now, we mentioned Tilio before that got two minutes the other night, and you've got Daniel Azani just running the show for Macarthur. The decision's not a really hard one, is it? Yeah, yeah. And I guess MacArthur as well, uh, a lot's been made of them. They're in fantastic form. They've, of course, won the Australia Cup as well, but they haven't, well, some people suggested that they haven't really been tested yet by by really top-caliber opposition. So what do you make of this Dwight York's project at the moment with MacArthur? What, what can they really achieve uh, this season based on what you've seen? After the last couple of years under Ante, I'm loving yeah. um, this MacArthur side under Dwight York. It's just great to see a side that's been allowed to express themselves in the final third. And he's been really big on that, hasn't he? He has been, and it's mm. a real credit to him because there were a lot of question marks of him coming in as an untried coach. But, you know, every tick so far, you can't complain. And like I've been critical of MacArthur the last couple of years, not just off the field with ticket prices, as you know, but also on the field. They haven't been watchable. They haven't been. And this year, they've been one of my favourite sides to watch. It's that simple. And it's because he's got great attacking players and he's letting them off the leash. The only question mark is that backline. Because as we said, United peppered them with crosses mm. and at times look very likely to score. Yeah. Now, a lot of other sides will put them under a lot of pressure and pressure that might be a bit more diverse, I guess, than United's going wide and crossing. And some days they might have a lot more luck than United who had three goals cancelled out. So the real question for me is the back line. I really, really rate Tommy Uscott. I think he's a great leader back there. If he can hold the ship down and get players playing. He's de- Tommy Uscock is definitely a centre-back and he's oh, not a number six. No, no, no. He's no, a no, centre-back. No. Yeah. He's very imposing. So if you can get, if you can build a solid backline around him, you know, you're competing. So yeah. that's my question mark with them. Also, you need to be, I think another big thing for them is Bacchus, playing Bacchus every week because mm. he's that midfielder that can connect that backline to that attack. So he was missing against United. I think yeah. he'll be huge for them this season. So if all the stars align, why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting when they come up against the Melbourne victories, the Melbourne cities and the Sydneys of this world, um, for sure. And definitely have to take note of that. So lastly, uh, just want to touch on Perth Glory, who just two away games to start the season. We know about, of course, all the dramas off the field uh, with them at the moment. But I did see some stuff today around Sterling Macedonia Park, apparently some of the developments uh, to get that prepared for A-League fixtures is, is yeah, it's underway. And look, speaking to a few, you know, uh, Perth Glory fans and, and stuff, it does seem like it might actually turn out to be not as bad a situation as first thought. And they could make it, you know, a decent little, I guess, you know, raucous crowd out there at, at Sterling Macedonia Park for the home games. But really the, the focus is the here and now. And the reality is that they haven't looked very great at all in these first two games. They, they had chances and and they were in that game, of course, against the Jets on the weekend. But 
to to lose to ten men like that was would have been yeah you know, bitterly disappointing, of course. Oh, I think the whole Macedonia situation is just can't catch a break. You know, mm. the fact all these years with the toughest border restrictions in Australia can't play at home. They're basically overseas. They might as well be. And now you've got this situation. It's not great. And you just feel for them and their fans. You just want them to get some sort of continuity. I think they've picked up some decent players, which haven't all been able to make the par- make it on the park at the same time. It's going to take time. They're not going to be playing finals this year, let's face it. But if Zadkovic can get a cohesive side by the middle towards the end of the year, that, okay, you can tell. These are his best players. We know how Perth Glory is going to play and they start picking up some results. I think you can call that a success. I think they are invested in Zadkovic. They mm. could have very easily given him the flick after his interim stint. They're obviously backing him. It's not, and think, it's not like they've signed no one. Like they no, have. Yeah, they, yeah. So it's going to take time. I just hope Perth actually gives him that time. You need to be understanding that this is probably not the year. This is the year where you start filling in the cracks. And then from next year, you can start thinking about returning to finals. But time will tell. I just hope there's a bit less pain this year than last year for Perth and they're a bit more competitive. Yeah, and after Jan Sass got three games for his tackle on um, on. Uh, Harvey Lopez. I'm going to be very interested to see what Jordan Elsie gets for his. He's got two. He's got two. Yeah. It's oh well, I must have missed that. What is going on there? <laughs> that's like, and the sassy one was awful. Being there live, seeing it, I got really shocked. But mm. it is a slip at the end of the day, even though yeah. it could yeah. have caused some serious damage. <laughs> Watching the Elsie one, <laughs> I gasped. I couldn't believe know, it when I first saw it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I don't know about. I think two is about right for him, but I think Sassy's three is excessive. I don't know how you come up to the determination one, three, the other ones too. But mm. yeah, I don't know. It was it was a real peak Jordan Nelson performance, wasn't it? Like you go, you get your hero moment, you score, and then minutes later, you are decapitating someone, and it, walking yeah. off and giving a pen away. Yeah, and it's even worse for Jordan Elsie when he starts doing the the emu whatever stupid <laughs> celebration that he does. You live, uh, you, you live by the emu, you die by the emu. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, okay, <laughs> Antonis, anything else that you wanted to address uh, from these first couple of weeks um, before we before we go? Uh, nothing in particular. Looking forward to week three, and I just hope Melbourne Derby this week. Yeah, uh, it's exciting, but like again, the Wanderers victory game. Great atmosphere, but I think we can agree that it mm. wasn't the greatest no. spectacle. No. And at the end of the day, that's what you want. Imagine mm. the first game of the round, the Brisbane game against Melbourne City. Imagine being a Brisbane supporter and bringing your friend to the game that's not a big fo- Australian football fan. Would they return to that? Yeah. If, let's be honest. Seriously, mm. we need to start playing some good football. At the end of the day... It comes from mentality, bring- doesn't it? Exactly. It's And again, I've said that before, I think too many teams go out there not to lose first and not to win second. You know, you want to go out there to give these people when these tickets aren't cheap. Some clubs like Western United are doing a great job. They're the champions and they're giving tickets away for a $20 note, which is fantastic. But a lot of clubs are not doing that. And if we are 
the idiots here that we can go watch an awful 90 minutes while I'm going to be back next week and I'm going to do a podcast, I'm going to write about it. That's fine, but not everyone's going to be like that, you know? So you need to actually, we talk about all these activations clubs are doing, cheaper ticket prices. At the end of the day, people will go to these games. You're either going to enjoy and come back or not and say, I'm just going to stick to the Premier League. We are not the Premier League, we know that, but we want to create a good product. And I haven't been the biggest fan of what I've watched overall in the competition the first couple of weeks. I just hope they improve. Time will tell. Yep, yep, time will tell. And of course, as as I believe Matt's also you know referred to on the podcast before, it is early days in the A-League and usually, and Travis, I think, did speak about this as well, it does take its time to for the quality to reveal itself. Um, so I guess... Yeah, after the first five rounds, we're really going to have to take stock a bit more then. But yeah, Antonis, great to have you on for the podcast again. Again, another special thanks to Travis for his time. Absolutely sensational interview that was as well. And uh, yeah, you can catch us um, for another reaction pod. We will react to the Western United MacArthur game later this uh, week on Friday as well. And then look ahead to the Melbourne Derby as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that on our socials. And uh, yeah, uh, that's it from us for tonight and uh, we'll see you in the next one soon.